because I'm so passionate about igniting the same drive in all women that you can do it by yourself. Um, it's hard, it's certainly not easy, and it's getting harder as we speak. So my first thing I would say is start today. So is the bank of mum and dad a goer? I was really lucky to move home with my parents in order to save, but I didn't get any cash from them. Lots of young people are tapping into the bank of mum and dad to get a quick leg up. Lucky for those who can, but what about those of us who can't? One of the problems that young people are finding is that the parents aren't dying. I mean, without wishing to be grim about this, the thing is that it used to be uh, when I was a kid, parents retired at 65, died at 70, right? And, and you were still young at that point and you got the inheritance. You got, the, you got access to mum and dad's house at that point um, where, while you were still young. But now, um, you know, everyone's living t- into their 90s. So uh, by the time your parents die, you've retired. It's too late. That was Alan Kohler, respected finance expert and commentator. And so the problem is... Uh, kids need to somehow find a way to get access to the parents' embedded equity in their house earlier than they used to Um, because, you know, longevity is causing, uh, you know, people to get, uh, um, causing people not to get access to what used to be, what they used to get access to earlier, which was equity in their parents' house. Um. And so I think the pressure is on parents to do something about it, you know. And, you know, I, I mean, everyone, every family is different and some parents think, oh, the kids are on their own and, you know, and also they don't want to move. And But, you know, I think that there needs to be um, a, uh, a, a greater access to and a, more, a greater acceptance of reverse mortgages, uh, even for people who don't want to downsize in their, you know, in their, in their later years who don't want to sell their family home and move to a smaller apartment or retirement village. I just love this. I just love the way that baby boomers sitting in their houses that they own outright think things like perhaps a reverse mortgage is a solution to the housing affordability crisis. A lot of us can't borrow money from our parents. If I didn't have that luxury, oh, look, I'd just get used to renting, I guess. I mean, look, I don't think there's such a big deal. That's okay. You can rent for a long time. Um uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, as long as you've got some super, um, as long as as long as you've got a bit of super, you can rent. You know, you can go into your retirement, your older years, stop working um, without a without a house. I think you know, I think everyone, I, I think everyone's getting a bit carried away about it. You don't really need, you don't have to have a to own a house. It's okay. I also get really frustrated when baby boomers say renting is not a big deal. Renting is a big deal. If you're living in crappy conditions or your landlord sells and you need to move again, especially as you're getting older. I think a lot of that has to do with the security of um, being a tenant. I, I think in other countries, um, in Europe in particular and, and in America, there's no such thing as um, tenant security here. Um, you know, there's, there's rent control in America uh, and I think forms of rent control in Europe, um, which means that it's much more acceptable to rent all your life because you're much more secure. In Australia, we don't have that. We've only just recently had some laws passed in Victoria um, that provide some sort of security for tenants, more security than in the past. So I, I think one of the big reasons has been 
the difficulty the tenants have, um, you know, uh, you can't have a pet, all the, you know, you can easily get kicked out. You have to, you know, the bond is high. I mean, all that stuff is really kind of hard in Australia. I mean, what happens if you retire without a home? Let's be realistic. Do you have enough super to cover your cost of living? What's the cost of rent going to look like in 30 or 40 years? It's really easy to say, just keep renting. But the reality is, if you don't own your home outright, the superannuation system isn't really set up to support you. And it really shits me that no one's talking about this. A little bit controversial here. Um, MP uh, Tim Wilson has a, a campaign called House First, Super Second. Uh, he suggests that getting into the housing market should be the priority uh, and that people should be able to access their super to buy the buy their home. Now, obviously, in 2020, we saw people dipping into their super in, in very large amounts and, and quite often not making um the most responsible decisions, you know, I heard about people getting Botox with their with their superannuation, which is absurd to me. Uh, is there any merit in Wilson's argument? So Tim Wilson's found this way of getting some attention and good luck to him. I mean, I think it's a silly idea. Silly. I mean, look, it's, it's just a way for him to get noticed. Let's face it. Um, it's got no, it's got no uh, actual merit whatsoever, in my view. I mean, you know, the, the taking money out of your super now is crazy because the whole point of super is superannuation is getting access to compound interest, um, which is long-term growth in, um, you know, in your investments. And you have to get, in order to get any money when you retire, you've got to have it in there for a long time. Interesting that Alan thinks that Tim's idea has no merit whatsoever. I think it's only fair to give Tim a right of reply. It's important to understand why this is so important. Um, uh, superannuation, you enjoy the benefits for the last 20 years of your life. The Grattan Institute of Public Policy Research think tank has found that Australians already have more super than they need um, in retirement um, to be able to live with dignity and security in retirement. But we know the biggest leading indicator of poverty in retirement is that you don't own your own home because you're exposed to rising rental costs um, and the like. And so, but the point about home ownership and why it should take precedence over superannuation is you enjoy the benefits of, super, of home ownership throughout your working life and your retirement. Super is only during your retirement. And the simple fact remains, you can save for retirement when you own a home you can't save for a home in retirement. So it's about getting those financial decisions into the slipstream of people's lives, bringing home ownership forward. Uh, in 1980, the average age that people purchased a home was 24. Today, it's 36. You then have a 30-year mortgage, um, which is a standard mortgage these days. That takes you to 66, which is now the um, official retirement age. And unsurprisingly, we're seeing more and more Australians using their super balance at the end of their working life to clear their mortgage, um, which ultimately means that they end up on the pension anyway. So um, uh, the most important thing is that people own their own home as early as possible. It reduces their rental obligations, maximises their time to save for super, and of course, delivers them uh, security for them and their family in their working life and their retirement. I guess my concern is if if this uh, sort of policy was to go through um, and all of a sudden, um, a large portion of young Australians had access 
to a large sum of, of money to fund that. Doesn't this just fuel the fire in terms of property prices? No, that's the lie the superannuation industry wants to keep control of more of your money. Um, the reality is uh, there is a difference between what you do with your, old, your own money and what you do when somebody else kicks in um, more cash, um, say, for instance, through various schemes designed to, um, uh, government schemes to encourage first home ownership. Um, because in the end, it's still your savings and you will take a much more prudent attitude towards it. But in addition, everybody's circumstances are different. Whereas when you introduce first home loan schemes and the like, um, they're universal and so it lifts um, property prices. So it wouldn't have the same impact. Um, the other reason is because it would actually uh, uh, put pressure on some of the super funds who currently use your super to buy houses against you. Uh, the classic example is CBUS. They own $800 million of residential property with your savings that they're prepared to rent to you, but they own. And we need to get that prioritisation right, which is say actually home ownership, if you want to talk about it in, uh, in uh, human rights ling lingo, uh, which is it's about your right to shelter and that we're not rewarding big capital interests to be able to compete against you and they're forcing up the price of housing just as much as you being able to do so uh, would have any influence as well. But the other critical factor is if you buy a home earlier, you invariably buy it cheaper. Uh, and this has been pretty much the universal and consistent trend um, in, in Australian life. And so even if there is any relationship to prices, um, you only have to save an extra 20% of the total cost for a deposit for your first home, um, whereas with superannuation, it's taking away 100% of the money you need. That's uh, that's interesting. I did not know that CBUS was invested in residential property. No I one does. Quite strongly, that superannuation firms should not be investing in residential property, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, Competing directly against you, and they're taking away exactly the property you need to be able to buy your first home. Yeah, with and your invest, own money, and invested in, in in property prices rising for their own their own benefit. That's staggering Correct. to me. Um, Look, you just you've briefly touched there on um, on those universal schemes. So, as part of the federal budget, we heard that um, the first home buyer super saver scheme um, will enable people to withdraw super um, up to fifty thousand from up from thirty thousand. Um, do you think this this helps, or are you more interested in that kind of immediate access to uh, to super? Well, the first home super saver scheme um, requires you still to contribute extra into your super. So it's still extra money in addition to your superannuation that you can withdraw. It's not from your existing savings um, from uh, that are compulsorily taken from your wages to save. So do I think it helps? Of course it does because it means that young Australians who want to be first homeowners can save in a tax-free environment rather than paying more tax if they're prepared to commit to put towards buying their first home. So, I mean, I think it is it is uh, an important part of the conversation, um, but again, I think it needs to be um, twinned uh, over time where it, it can be married with your existing compulsory super contributions to see the benefits um, and bring home ownership even further forward. The, the average 30 to 35-year-old Australian uh, has... $38,000 in superannuation. Now, in some places, that might be enough 
for a deposit, but in most parts of the country, it won't be. So you're still going to have to save more, but it's a pretty big dent into dent into the contribution or the, the saving you make and can be, you know, if you're saving, um, say, somewhere between five and 10,000 years dollars a, a year towards um, a deposit, um, can bring forward home ownership by somewhere between um, three and six years very easily. Um, and that's not just three and six years brought forward, that's three and six years uh, of less of rent, that's three and six years further of paying off your mortgage and three and six years further that you can pay for your retirement at the point where you'll no longer have, have housing costs or um, uh, if you choose to do so. So in every way, you're better off. Um, if you prioritise home first and super second. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's an important point because we know that it's taking the average first home buyer now up to nine, ten years just to save for that entry level start. And, um, you yeah. know, that's that's really concerning. If you're not buying until you're in your 40s, um, then you really set back in terms of still paying off that mortgage um, into into retirement. Um mm. I think I think that's really interesting. Just just on on um, additional kind of things that are out there now. There's also the new family home guarantee, which allows single parents on an income of one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars to buy with a minimum of two percent. Now I have varying views on um, on buying with a low uh, low deposit. Um, I think depending on your circumstances and the way that the market is performing, there are opportunities to to take that as an advantage. But I do worry about single parents entering the market on a 2% deposit. Do you have a view on whether it's more effective to, um, I guess, access that super for a larger deposit and, and have that, that buffer there? Or do, do you think that low deposit situation is is just as effective? Well, they, they can all be effective, but they're all designed to address the problem of, um, and it is, it is unfortunately particularly single women or um, single parent um, who are women, uh, facing huge uphill battles while they're raising children to be able to um, uh, purchase their own home while they're paying rent and the like. Um, and of course, what we know is there's a substantial number of women who are post-divorce who often can leave um, a relationship where they find themselves with uh, uh, with their, a fair lick of the, the say the accumulated family super balance intact, but they may have limited amounts of cash, and often in their forties or fifties, which still gives them twenty to thirty years to pay off a home if they were able to access it for that purpose. But if they're denied to use their super to purchase a home, then they're probably going to spend the next twenty to thirty years paying in rent. So this um, program is as much designed as a stopgap to address that structural flaw. And the reality is if you retire owning your own home and live off the full pension, you will be a lot better off than if you uh, don't own your own home, have a modest super balance of say maybe one or $200,000, probably less to be truthful. Um, and you'll still get the pension anyway, but you'll be exposed to rising rental costs. So I think this scheme has a place, but I think it's um, trying to address the structural problems where we put super over homes. And that has the most deleterious impact on um, single women, because unfortunately they're more likely to earn less over their working life, but even more so uh, women who are single parents because they quite legitimately are putting their children ahead of other financial considerations. Um, we should be backing them up to be able to live out their success in their working life, but critically uh, into their retirement. Because even with this scheme, you still need to be able to save or to, to pay or service the debt 
um, so that uh, you're able to own your own home um, and eventually pay it off. So I think that's a really good segue there. I'm interested in talking about serviceability because I think getting that lump sum for the deposit is one thing, but that ongoing serviceability of, of, a, of a mortgage. I mean, we're talking, as I, as I said to you earlier, I've just bought in regional Victoria because that's what I as a single person can afford. Um, I, I'm certainly grateful for the fact that I can afford to enter the market at all the way things are at the moment. Um, but there is that serviceability to consider. So there's having the deposit and then there's having the bank say to you, yes, you can borrow X, Y, Z amount. Uh, what, yep. What's your solution there in terms of someone's able to access 50, 60, $70,000 of their super? That's a great um, deposit. But I worry about people over borrowing because they can. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, the reality is we always already have um, macro prudential regulations which stop people borrowing uh, too much money. Um, and, you know, that's just a fancy pants way of saying that banks have constraints and require a certain deposit or a certain amount of security and people need to be able to prove their, the serviceability of that debt. So I consider this a very low risk, um, least of all because the explicitly hard data is that Australians fight and prioritise home ownership if they own their own home and servicing that debt ahead of other um, discretionary decisions because unlike in the United States, you can't just chuck your keys back in uh, the letterbox and walk out, not just because you look um, uh, because the bank isn't obliged to take it over, but then you also lose your equity. And in fact, the long story of Australian house prices is, of course, they do continue broadly to keep going up. Uh, and so you still have a lot of equity, even if you're forced to sell. So you're still better off if you owned and you had to sell, though the objective absolutely is that people won't have to sell or won't have to sell unless they're choosing um, an alternative path and not by compulsion. So Truthfully, I'm not that worried about serviceability because if you had, say, fifty or sixty thousand dollars, and let's use that number, thirty to thirty-five year old has thirty-eight thousand, uh, seventy-six thousand as a couple, um, they're still paying rent while they're trying to save that money. Now, that money you pay on rent can often very quickly exceed the amount of money that you use to service your um, your your mortgage. Um, that was certainly my experience. Now. That was partly due with adjustment in interest rates. But of course, broadly speaking, over time, rents keep going up. Whereas, of course, the cost of servicing a mortgage stays roughly stagnant. It can go a little bit up and down, but certainly the debt level you're servicing shouldn't change unless you choose to change it. Um, and interest rates may have an adjustment. And while you're doing that, you're paying down on your equity. So uh, you're actually going ahead constantly when you own your own home. Um, you're removing those rental costs and particularly the risk of rising rental costs. So you're just better off. I certainly, I certainly understand that maths and I wholeheartedly agree that it's far better to be paying off your own mortgage than servicing uh, someone else's. My concern is that if that couple uh, who take their $38,000 each um, and, and put that seventy six into an investment uh, into their home, what happens if they split up and then they don't have the house uh, and they've both got to enter the market separately uh, down the track? What I worry about is they've dipped into that huge nest egg, uh, walked away with nothing, uh, and then potentially have trouble down the track. I think your theory relies on people buying that house and owning it and owning their home outright by retirement. But if they don't, if life circumstances get in the way, what happens? Is this a risk? 
Well, of course, divorce, firstly, is always a risk, whether however you get the deposit for your home. But I don't understand the logic that you're going to buy a home, service the debt, because you'll have to pay principal and interest if it's for a principal and in, for, for a principal place of residence. Um, so I don't um, see why you'd walk away with nothing. You don't walk away with nothing. You'll walk away with your deposit plus any capital growth that's occurred over that time. And that will provide the foundation for you to go off and purchase your own homes respectively uh, in that time, which is going to be more than if you just left that money in uh, in superannuation. So you're, you're actually going to be better off. Um, uh, unfortunately, people do get divorced, but I'd still rather a couple divorce um, owning their own home, which gives them the best chance to then each individually go off and buy perhaps a smaller or more modest home um, so they'll have that retirement security um, versus the alternative, which is they don't own a home, they get divorced, so they've got their superannuation balances intact and they're still exposed to rising rental costs. They'll then have to start renting and then in retirement, they'll still have rising rental costs and they'll still be dependent on the pension. So putting it politely, on every level under the alternative scenario, they're screwed Whereas under the scenario that I'm painting, uh, they've got at least a very good chance of owning their own home. And even in worst case scenario, they still will have saved for the next 40 to 50 years towards their superannuation. It's not like once you use your what limited super balance you have at the first stage of your life, which is actually when it's at its lowest uh, towards purchasing your first home, that you know for the next 40 to 50 years continuing to save towards that superannuation every step of the way. And of course, we'll also be in a better situation to make voluntary additional contributions, particularly once kids are off your hands. And then if you need an income supplement of part pension, it can be provided versus no house, rising rental costs, full pension. What advice can you give to to young people who are, are trying to get that deposit and currently can't access their super or a guarantor from their family. Um, can, can you provide some tips and some, I guess, some inspiration for people who, who are trying to get there? Well, the first thing I would do, and I don't like this, but it's a reality, is actually have that conversation with your parents um, about what you want to achieve and be realistic and uh, about what you can achieve. Because if I had had that conversation with my parents a decade before, uh, and not that I'm complaining, but I would be a lot better off than I am today because time is actually your greatest enemy. You need time to pay off a mortgage. And of course, every day you're not paying off a mortgage, you're paying, unless you, of course, have a, I didn't, but we're able to stay at home, uh, and you're paying off rent. So you're paying money for housing either way, you know, where possible, paid off your mortgage. Uh, so have that in, um, proposal. But in the end, you've also just got to save. And there are a lot of financial decisions you can make in the meantime, of course, you could purchase shares um, as one way at least of forcible savings. And often it can be quite modest um, savings in shares. And at least if you, and you don't need to get into sh trading individual funds or anything like that, you can just buy into what they call ETS or exchange um, transfer funds and not like to enable you to get into the market. And you may, you may see some growth. There's certainly not going to be much growth if you just hold money in cash. Um, and, but uh, go and have those conversations, go and have those conversations with financial planners because um, I've said it already, but I'll say it again, time, time is your biggest enemy uh, in this. If, you, if by your mid to 30s to 40s, you haven't purchased your own home, the window for you to pay off your mortgage gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, and of course, that's the time when you want to maximise your savings for things like your retirement, and particularly while you're also supporting um, children, if you have children and the like. 
So um, time, time is your enemy. I took a decade to figure that out and I just can't stress enough. Every day lost uh, is, cannot be regained. Tim makes a great point. In an increasingly difficult market, perhaps we should be able to dip into our super to secure our home. Although it can also be risky if you put all of your money into property. If his concept gets over the line, you might want to consider topping up your super to compensate for what you've taken out. The other thing that I think is worth considering is that for Tim's theory to work, it really needs to be seamless. You need to buy that property and own it outright for a long period of time. If your relationship breaks down, if you're buying with someone else, or if some other unexpected circumstance takes place and you lose your home, you've also lost your super. Okay, so I reckon that's enough debating. Let's take some action. Next time, I want to talk to a buyer's advocate who can give you all the tips and tricks that you need to beat out the competition. Plus, I'll also talk to a savvy 20-something rent investor who's thinking long-term about her financial future. The information in this podcast is provided for entertainment and educational purposes only. It is general in nature and does not apply specifically to your circumstances. If you're considering purchasing property, it's always best to speak to a licensed financial professional before making any decisions related to your goals.